okay, so how do individual people identify, I'm sorry, develop in their own gender identity, their own perception of their self as a gendered person? Um, <clears throat> Uh, we know a few things here, uh, that um, by age three, uh, kids have learned that they're a boy or a girl, um, and, um, and they tend to identify with that. Um, uh, however, uh, at that young age, uh, ideas of boy and girl are very much tied to physical characteristics. And so, um, so it's even possible that um, little kids, three-year-olds or somewhere around there, are liable to think that, um, that genderedness uh, is only related to external characteristics so that um, they might endorse the idea that if a little boy uh, put on a dress, that he would become a little girl or something like that, right? Um, <clears throat> that gender would change with regard to appearances. By the way, that's true for little kids in a lot of other things too, right? Um, they haven't identified um, uh, what's referred to as um, conservation, essentially the idea that um, things stay the same even though their appearances change, right? That's a, uh, a more general kind of developmental issue. Um, um, but little kids uh, around the age of three and uh, around there are also liable to think that um, that gender is inconstant. That is, um, that um, you know, you could change gender from moment to moment, or you could change in your future. Uh, little boys might uh, say when they grow up they're going to be a mommy or something like that, right? Um, and um, uh, or think that their mom was a little boy when she was young or something like that, right? They might, um, uh, and that would show that they're not really understanding the idea of gender constancy, which they do usually understand by the age of six or seven, that, um, that gender itself doesn't change. Um, I told you we wouldn't talk too much about Sigmund Freud in this class, and we really haven't, right? I've been uh, true about that. Um, now, we've got to talk a little bit about uh, what Freud said about uh, gender identity and gender development. Um, now, he was pretty much wrong about all of it. Uh, however, um, this has influence the way that a lot of people see gender identity development. Um, uh, Freud um, believed that, um, that almost everything related to our own sense of our, um, our own genderedness, our own uh, uh, self as a gendered person, um, developed somewhere at the age of four to five. Uh, that everything happens right about then. Uh, and he tied all of that to the Oedipus complex in uh, little boys and the Electra complex in little girls. Um, if you remember, uh, the Oedipal complex in little girls, I'm sorry, in little boys, was the one where Freud thought that little boys uh, become sexually attracted to their other sex parent, their mom, uh, and uh, sexually desire her. They come to see dad as a threat uh, to them because they're afraid that if dad finds out about their designs on mom that dad's going to get mad and castrate the little boy. Um, Freud said that most little boys will uh, resolve their edible complex um, by realizing that they're really no match for dad and they can't overcome dad and besides he's got a head start on mom anyway uh, and um, you know they're they can't compete with dad in that uh, realm anyway and so what they decide to do is that they're gonna make themselves as much like dad as they possibly can so Freud called this identification with the same-sex parent uh, and, um, and he thought that this is where we learn a lot of our gendered behavior. So we uh, see that, um, you know, we want to be just like dad so that we can one day capture somebody like dear old mom, right? Um, the Electra complex for little girls was, uh, in is, was analog analogous in a lot of ways um, in that uh, little girl um, 
uh, sexually desired her father, her other sex parent, um, uh, eventually realized she couldn't have her father, and so came to identify with her same-sex parent, in this case identifying with her female mother, and copying uh, her mother's behavior in order to make herself as much like mom so she could get somebody like dear old dad. Right Now, um, this is how Freud thought that it worked. Uh, <laughs> in my slide, yeah, there's too many problems with this theory to even list, and uh, we don't really need to waste our time with a lot of this. Um, uh, he, um, Freud didn't even uh, address the possibility that people could be raised by single-sex parents or two same-sex parents or by an extended family or anything like that or how that would even play into it. Um, and this doesn't account for gender role behavior prior to the age of five, uh, which we do see gender role behavior prior to the age of five. And uh, Freud wouldn't have any idea how to explain that uh, because he thought we didn't address anything related to gender until we get to be, you know, age four to, uh, four to five. Um, so, um, so too many problems with this theory to list. However, um, it does bear mentioning here because, uh, as I sort of said a minute ago, um, this has gotten into the way that a lot of people think about what makes little boys boys and what makes little girls girls. Um, I don't know if I told you this before, but, um, but when, uh, when my generation was born, uh, the, um, the, the baby manual that was given to most moms uh, was written by a Freudian. Uh, it was written by um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Spock. Uh, Dr. Spock's baby book. I remember my mother had a well-worn, uh, thumbed-through paperback copy of, uh, of Dr. Spock's baby book. And essentially, Dr. Spock uh, was a Freudian. He believed that... Um, that uh, um, certain kinds of uh, behaviors would, at a certain age, would lead a child to become, to have problematic gender identity or problematic sexual orientation or other things like that. And so a lot of the stuff about, uh, you know, um, punish your boys for playing with dolls, that was actually sort of encouraged by Dr. Spock's book. Um, now, uh, we're a long way from some of that, but, um, uh, you know, time-wise, <laughs> I'm old, uh, but, um, uh, but still, some of those ideas are around, and, and they were actually rooted in what doctors were saying for a while. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, let's see. If we move to um, uh, other theories of gender identity development, um, we can look at um, social, I'm sorry, uh, social learning theory and cognitive developmental theory. Ultimately, I'm not entirely sure about the difference between these. Um, if there's a difference, it's a subtle difference. But what it comes down to is that in uh, social learning theory, essentially um, <clears throat> um, uh, little boys uh, see their... Um, uh, little boys tend to be reinforced for boy-type behavior and punished or ignored for female-type behavior, feminine-type behavior. And so by operant conditioning, uh, the behavior that's reinforced or the type of behavior that's reinforced is more likely to continue. Uh, so little boys engaged in rough-and-tumble play, you know, that's fine. We let them do that and uh, maybe even encourage them for doing that. Uh, for little boys engaged in um, uh, playing house or playing... Um, uh, uh, like they're cooking in a kitchen or something like that, um, that might be uh, ignored or punished in some ways. You know, for some, that would be the basis of um, uh, the idea of operant conditioning. And for girls, uh, essentially, they're encouraged to go along with what we think of as feminine behavior, and um, 
likely to be uh, punished for masculine behavior. In addition, people observe other people. So these kids are also at the same time observing other people uh, being reinforced and punished for gendered types behave, type behaviors. And so they're more likely to, um, to see the behavior in their same-sex parent as being the appropriate kind of behavior for them as well. The only significant difference that I see in, um, in what's known as cognitive developmental theory is that um, instead of just copying it, the first thing that kids do is form the concept of it. Uh, that, um, that the concept of maleness and femaleness comes first. So that uh, in cognitive developmental theory, uh, it's seen as little boys and little girls are trying to make sense out of the world and trying to form a classification system for this is like this and that's like that. And so uh, they uh, form the categories of boy and girl and then identify themselves as one of those categories and then go along with what they see uh, as that kind of appropriate behavior. Um, so again, in practice, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference to me between these theories, um, although uh, I'm sure there are developmental psychologists who would um, be really insulted that I would say that, um, but um, whatever. Um, <clears throat> uh, so let's see, uh, gender role development. Uh, so in people's ideas of how boys and girls are supposed to act or expected to act or how I'm supposed to act as a boy or girl, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, gender roles. Uh, uh, kids start to learn ideas about gender roles very early by age three or four. Uh, they know a lot about gender stereotypes. They know some things that are gendered. Um, uh, and by age four or five, they're liable to have uh, kind of gender stereotyped occupational goals. Um, uh, this is less true for kids who are raised by uh, single parents or parents with non-stereotypical roles. Uh, they tend to develop more relaxed views of gender roles. Now, this probably doesn't surprise you uh, to hear that, but think about how important that is for telling us something about where gender roles come from. Um, that, um, that yes, there may be some internal sense of, yes, I'm a boy and I like to do boy type stuff, or yes, I'm a girl and I like to do girl type stuff, but a lot of it seems to come from the person's external environment and what they are exposed to. So that the more strict the environment is that they're raised in as far as this is masculine and this is feminine, you're a boy so you do this stuff and you don't do that stuff, the more strict the environment, the family environment is, the more likely people are to come up with some of those strict ideas of gender role. That seems to indicate that a large portion of this is learned and that um, left to their own devices, kids wouldn't necessarily develop it that strongly. Now that's not to say that they would, um, uh, that it would be completely, um, I don't know, gender neutral or uh, agendered um, uh, without some of this um, pressure uh, from societies and families. There do seem to be some differences in, uh, in natural interests and things. Uh, however, um, uh, a lot of it um, seems to come from the environment that people are exposed to. So where do these gender, role com gender roles come from? Um, if we move to uh, slide number 33, an evolutionary or sociobiological role, 
uh, model. Um, an evolutionary model of uh, gender role differentiation, in a sense, um, <clears throat> uh, is based on the idea that there are some uh, physical differences between males and females, and certainly some reproductive differences in males and females, uh, that's going to lead to a split in the way that um, uh, uh, males and females act in groups, in cultural groups, um, <clears throat> in societal groups. <clears throat> so that, for instance, uh, females, you know, have more uh, uh, investment in reproduction than do males, uh, and so they're liable to be more selective in mate selection. And we find that that's probably true, that uh, females tend to be more selective in their choice of mates than do males. Um, females have more to lose. Um, males are more likely to be uh, bigger physically and more muscular, so they're more likely to get roles in the in the social group of um, of hunting and protecting and uh, waging warfare and stuff like that. And so, um, uh, so evolutionary model would say that these physical differences in males and females lead to some of the um, social differences. Um, uh, and that's why some of these things developed in the first place. By contrast, a sociocultural model would say that these gender differences are merely a social construction. You've probably heard people say that gender is just a social construction, and that's essentially what this um, this viewpoint would say. That um, that essentially there's uh, from this model there's nothing built into us with regard to gender uh, or gender identification or gender role, but that that's merely society's attempt to, um, in a sense, uh, direct people's behavior to particular kinds of things. This would imply that um, that left to their own devices, um, people would uh, uh, or little kids would not develop any real clear senses of gender. That this is something that is taught, or, or that people are even given pressure to conform to particular kinds of uh, uh, gender constructions, in a sense, um, uh, according to um, uh, how they're raised. Right. Um, this is. Um, this is a commonly expressed idea now, and uh, in that um, you know people want to say that gender is purely social or cultural, uh, and um, and while we've seen that um, that the influence on people's gender roles does seem to be largely social and cultural, people's gender identification may not be uh, influenced by society and culture so much. And we saw some of that when we looked at um, <clears throat> treatment for folks with intersex conditions. Remember that um, when people were, uh, in a generation ago, when people were born with intersex conditions, they were often assigned a sex, uh, and they were raised according to that sex. If the sociocultural model were true, then those people would have... Um, would have adapted to that just fine because they were essentially, uh, they would have been essentially uh, psychosexually neutral uh, at the time of birth and they would have been socialized, just like the rest of us, uh, for a particular kind of gender. And that would have worked out fine, but we know that it didn't. Um, and so that, um, that in itself um, suggests that there's something more going on, particularly with regard to uh, our own sexual, I'm sorry, our own gender identity. Um, maybe not so much according to gender role, right? Um, <clears throat> with regard to gender role so socialization, you know, how does that happen? Uh, um, 
uh, sociologists love to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, it, it is kind of a um, chicken and egg kind of question. You know, are little boys attracted to boy toys because they're little boys or are boy toys made a certain way because little boys like them, right? Uh, which came first? Uh, and um, and the, the true answer is probably some sort of mix of things. Um, there are some, um, <clears throat> you've probably heard a lot of the uh, uh, stuff on the side of uh, gender role socialization as if gender is purely a social construct, you know, that, um, that boys are taught to play with boy toys and girls are taught to play with girl toys. And there is certainly some of that. Um, uh, however, there's also research to indicate that, um, that boys and girls seem to naturally play with toys in different ways. Uh, so that, um, yeah, little boys, uh, left to their own devices are going to play with, uh, dolls and little girls are going to play with trucks, but they're, uh, you know, even toddlers, they're liable to play with it in different ways. The little girl may treat the truck as a baby and tuck it in uh, to go for a nap. And the little boy might see the Barbie doll and as a monster that's going to crash through the town, right? Um, there is some research to indicate that left to their own devices, um, kids will gender toys in ways that we don't expect, <laughs> in a sense. Um, and so um, that does, uh, you know, sort of give another side to the idea that, um, that gender is completely socialized, um, that there does seem to be some internal pressure uh, to, um, to see things in certain ways, right? Uh, gender role pressure is the idea that, um, you know, people are liable to feel essentially social pressure to go along with partic particular modes of uh, gender expression. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of changes now, uh, societally, uh, socially very quickly as far as ideas about gender and gender roles and gender expectations. Uh, I would argue that people do still have some, um, and they're not as, uh, uh, antiquated in a sense. They're not as far away from uh, gender expectation, gender role expectations as they often think they are. I mean, uh, you know, many people, you know, have definite preferences about whether they would prefer to have a, um, a male or a female as their kid's preschool teacher, or would you prefer to have a male or a female person as your physician um, or your gynecologist? or um, um, a uh, midwife, <laughs> or, um, you know, people often have, uh, uh, have preferences and uh, there and expectations. So, so some of that is, um, you know, not as far along as people might like to think. Uh, still, um, <clears throat> uh, this is a um, point in the uh, chapter where I would love to talk to you all about some ideas related to this, but I'm sitting here talking to my dog because we're in um, social isolation or whatever they call it. Um, <laughs> but, um, anyway, uh, if you've got ideas or, um, or comments or things you want to talk about, please, um, please mention those in the discussion board. There's really plenty to talk about here and I'd love to talk about it. Um, even though, uh, I can't just talk to myself any more than I already have. So here come the Mongo drums. <laughs>